And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Wednesday, January 20th. Derek Van Riper here with Edo Saris, continuing our position preview series. First base is the position of interest today. But first, some news. The Toronto Blue Jays have been very active in the last 24 hours, just in the time since Eno and I recorded our last episode. They added Kirby Yates on a one-year deal full of incentives, then came in with a huge deal with George Springer, six years, $150 million. Uh, there are some reports and rumors sort of bubbling up here midday Wednesday that Michael Brantley might not be far behind. So we'll see if the Brantley deal gets done during this recording, or if that's a thing that was close to happening that never happens at all. But, you know, it's exciting to have another team getting in on the fray, especially one of the Blue Jays who were, you know, runner-ups on a few free agents previously in this process. It's kind of weird how this offseason seems to be going in waves, right? It's like, mm-hmm. it's like which team is is up next? <laughs> you know, which team is going to make like three huge transactions in 24 hours next? Uh, you had the Padres turn. Now it's the Blue Jays turn, I guess. Um, I like all the moves uh, for the most part. I am planning right now to write a piece of, about what the Jays do next if this Brantley deal goes down. Just because I think, yes, I think a, a run saved is roughly equivalent to a run created. Um, but... You can, if you're a team that scores a lot of runs, you can make, you can get to more wins if you improve your run prevention. And right now, I would say that the Jays have will have one above average bat sitting on the bench every day if they sign Brantley, and maybe two. Right, a lot, a lot hinges on like Teoscar Hernandez maintaining what he did in the shortened season and for a pretty long stretch of 2019 as well, right? You're relying on on guys that have pretty wide ranges of outcomes. Maybe Lourdes Gurriel, to a lesser extent, falls into the same category, but I think I'm less worried about him falling apart than I am about Teoscar possibly falling apart. Randall Gritchick's the kind of player who kind of bounces around between a, a below-average WRC plus to a slightly above average WRC plus like his range seems to be like 90 to 110 and it's a mediocre average low OBP big power sort of skill set maybe he actually profiles better as a fourth outfielder than somebody who plays every day so it it just covers them he murders lefties and you know he's like 30% above league average against lefties but he's basically league average against righties as well so you know the projections for him are about sort of five, you know, five to six percent better than the average. He would be the guy, I think, that if they signed Brantley would would see the biggest reduction. But even then, you you also probably have Rowdy Telez, who is projected uh, to hit two fifty three, three twenty three, four seventy seven with twenty seven homers. 
Um, I don't know that I have a place for him to hit either. Uh, and then you have Alejandro Kirk, who's projected uh, to hit 267, 347, 433 with 14 homers um, and be well above average as a bat. I don't have a place for him anymore. So if if they do sign Brantley and they don't trade, then I my guess is that Grichik sits most days and the most often lineup has um, uh, ha- has Lourdes, uh, Springer, and Brantley in the outfield. Teoscar at DH. He's a pretty bad defender. Teoscar at DH. And then you either have to push Vlad to third and play Rowdy at first, or you've got to go get a third baseman. Or move Kevin Biggio to third and get a second baseman. Right, um, which might 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 work, but then best defensive alignment has Rowdy out and Grichik in. And the best offensive alignment has uh, uh, Rowdy at first, Vlad at third, and Grichik out. So is it only one player that's extra? It's Kirk also. Yeah, they have a little bit of surplus of catcher, and they have a little bit of surplus in terms of just an extra bat, possibly. So, you know... I think Lourdes would have the biggest trade value. So if they wanted to go get a big pitcher, um, I'm chatting right now with uh, the sleeper and the bus guys about, you know, something like a Herman Marquez deal would make a lot of sense for them. Um, I think that would clear up some playing time and would help them on the run connection aspect. But uh, I mean, you could go to you could go to war with this, I guess. Yeah, I mean, there are teams like the Yankees. Remember when the Yankees signed DJ LeMahieu, and people said, "Where is he going to play?" Uh, the Blue Jays are doing a similar thing where they say, "We we got a lot of bats. We're going to move them around. Some days Vlad plays third, some days he plays first. Some days some days Rowdy's in, some days Rowdy's out, and that's just the way life is." But Grichuk took a big hit. I think Grichuk, no matter what, is like a more of a fourth outfielder, and he was a starting outfielder before. Yeah, if Brantley gets added to, it gets really messy. I think the way they're built right now, they just have good depth. They don't have to make a trade. If they add Brantley, it feels like they have to make a deal. Uh, They do make sense as a trade partner with the Rockies for reasons we've talked about in the past. I think we linked them to Nolan Arenado. Like If there was going to be an Arenado deal this winter, the Jays as a team in need of a third baseman and as a team that had a little bit of excess in areas that would help the Rockies, especially behind the plate, that made quite a bit of sense. Uh, so yeah, you could see them possibly working out something for Herman Marquez too. And I just think about how much more excited I'd be about Marquez if he played anywhere else because the skills are fantastic. He'd be the kind of guy that would jump from the 150 to 175 range in ADP to maybe like the 50 to 75 range. It'd be about a 100 pick jump if that ever became a reality. Uh, but I do like that the Jays addressed the bullpen. I think that was an area of need. Kirby Yates on a pretty incentive-laden one-year deal is a great fit for them. Uh, it could be worth $10 million if he makes, I think, 70 appearances. If he's healthy, he's the closer. He's coming off of a surgery to remove bone chips from his elbow. That happened back in August. It apparently went very well. So this would bump Jordan Romano and Rafael Dolis into setup roles and give us a much-needed, clear-cut closer so long as Yates' arm is back to where it was pre-surgery. Yeah, I mean, 2018, Yates finished the season 
sitting above 95 um, in his outings. 2019, he lived uh, between 93 and 94 most of the season, uh, finished on an upward note. 2020, he started around 94, and then the last appearance before he shut it down, uh, he sat 92-plus. And Velo is a big deal. Uh, the teams don't have a current Velo reading because he's still sort of rehabbing and, and coming back uh, from that surgery. And that's why it's only $5.5 million. And that's why I've seen some people say that, you know, they like the Blue Jays bull, blue, bullpen and it's probably enough. I disagree. Um, I think there's enough uh, questioning uh, around Kirby Yates. Um, you know, Dolis, uh is had a good season, but he's also um, not been good in the past and has really bad command. Uh, his projections run from a 3.87 on depth charts uh, because of zips to a 5.30 ERA from the bat. So I think Rafael Dolis is anything but a, a sure thing. But rookies coming off of surgery. Um, you know, they got Chatwood in the pen right now. Uh, he could be better in the pen, I guess. Julian Merriweather is a guy I like. And in fact, I think he could be a sleeper for saves as the team is is put together right now because he throws really hard. Uh, he sat 97 last year. He's got you know, various secondary pitches. The command doesn't seem like it's a real big problem. Um, his strikeout rate has jumped uh, in recent times. And if he's actually going to be in the pen, that means they want, they, they, they have, you know, high hopes for him in the pen. And um, if Yates craps out and Romano uh, comes back to the, the pack, uh, I think Merriweather is, is next on that list. So, um, I, I think Romano deserves to be drafted. Uh, Yates is going to be drafted first, probably. And uh, Merriweather is kind of like a deep league uh, stash type of, of a name, I think. Another couple of moves in the bullpen wouldn't hurt. They did also add Tyler Chatwood recently, too. So maybe there's a little bit of intrigue there. And, and Thomas Hatch, I think, is one of their holdovers, who I think still has another level to possibly uh, unlock. I want him to start. Yeah, I think there's a, a path for him to do that too, depending on the health of some of their their depth starters. But uh, interesting thing I saw from our friend Derek Cardi, he pointed out that with the move to Toronto, and it currently assumes the Jays play their home games at Rogers Center, but I think regardless of where they play, this largely holds up. George Springer is a top ten hitter now, based on the Bat X projection for him. 279 for the batting average, 36 home runs, 98 runs, 92 RBIs, and five steals as well. So that's a really nice projection. I mean, when you get to the early rounds, it doesn't take a ton to move a player from fourth round status to third round status. Top 10 hitters, though, uh, probably the most aggressive projection that I've seen for Springer yet. Uh, do you think that's something that holds up? Are you comfortable possibly taking Springer inside the top 30 or so overall, because that's where I think he's going to go if people follow that projection. He was 15th before, um, just to, just to you know, have some content. So he, he moved up five. Um, and the only reason that I'm, I, won't, I won't move him up very much myself is uh, if you're talking about redraft, you're talking about what George Springer is going to do next year. Um, 
there's some doubt about where they're going to play. So I don't think I would want to put all my stock into a Toronto park factor, which would increase his homers probably by one or two or three. Um, I don't think I'd want to do that if he goes to Buffalo, where, especially in the cold, you know, they played in Buffalo there late last season. We don't know what they're going to, what Buffalo is going to play like when it's cold. Um, if they start the season on time, I think he would lose those three homers and be basically the 15th best, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think he would kind of lose as much as he would gain if they had to play in Buffalo, basically. So, uh, long-term, I think it's a good place for him because it'll float his power, um, as he starts to make less contact. Uh, that's just how aging goes. He's going to make less contact as he ages. It's, he came into this league with a contact problem. He fixed it. But I don't think that it means he's going to fix it forever. It's just going to come back at the end of his career. So, uh, but that 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 means that uh, you know, with his patience, uh, with the fact that he's starting with center field defense, uh, I think by the end of the contract he'll be a you know swing and miss low B, a low um, batting average, decent OBP slugger that uh, fits for them at uh, corner outfielder DH. Yeah, so a lot changing in Toronto. We'll see if we get anything as far as an update on Brantley. That would just make things more crowded for the outfield, but a slight upgrade in the expectations for Springer. I'm not moving him too far up my rankings. I think he kind of fits into a cluster now with Aaron Judge, Corey Seager, Eloy Jimenez for redraft purposes, I think, obviously, in a long-term league. Eloy Jimenez has a lot more appeal in Keeper and Dynasty, but that's the group of players that I think Springer belongs in, whereas previously he was just one tick below that group in my overall. And I might take him over Judge with all that injury risk. Judge is giving me the Rick Rick Smith's vibes. I'm just maybe that body is too big for all that talent, dude. <laughs> Aaron Judge giving you the Rick Smith's vibes. <laughs> I think I am clinging too much to the the big season we saw from Judge a few years ago. I think that's part of the problem in my analysis of him. He, no, I mean, the, you know, there is still some uh, truth to, like, if you've done it, you can do it again. And that's why we keep, you know, drafting Giancarlo Stanton. Nice discount on Stanton uh, this draft season so far, too. But we'll always have 2017 with Aaron Judge, even if he does go the way of uh, Rick Smith, as you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, closing the book on the Jays real quick. Kirby Yates, a top 10 closer for you? Because it doesn't take much to get into that group. We've glanced at it before. It's an ugly closer pool. Top 10, I think, would drop him close to Kenley Jansen, Taylor Rogers, those kinds of guys who are really kind of in the second tier of closers that we trust going into 2021. No, dude, I can't do it until I've got a velocity reading on him. I just can't do it. He's going to be behind those guys until, until I know what he's blowing. Got to know what he's blowing. It's going to cost you though, to get him. not even knowing he's going to shoot up. I think into that 150 range ADP was closer to 250 because there were some previously, there were previously reports that he was possibly headed to the Dodgers super bowl pen and uh, what a mess that would have been with so many other talented relievers. Oh, we didn't talk about uh, one other reliever thing. Archie Bradley. I think he did. He fall between the cracks. Yeah, I don't remember if we talked about him or not. But signing with the Phillies, apparently, uh, on some semi-official place, you know, listed as the closer now for the Phillies. Um, yeah, their, their website depth chart. Yeah, so. I think that's maybe somewhat meaningful. The, you know, Neris is there still, but they've kind of, um, 
on again, off again, in love with Neris. So, and it and it and it, it patterned after his command, which really is uh, pretty poor. Um, top ten, top ten, Hater, uh, Hendrix, Chapman, some order. That's my uh, top tier. Diaz is close to that tier, but I'm not sure. So that's four. Uh, five would uh, include. Uh, now we get to sort of Presley, Iglesias, um, and then my semi-controversial inclusion of Kenley Jansen in the top ten. Um, so that's eight. Um, I might start sneaking Archie Bradley in there, at nine and ten. So Rogers and Bradley. Uh, I'm pushing Anderson and Yates out. I think I'm still quite a bit higher on Anderson than you are. I I know he clearly was fatigued in the postseason, and it would be nice to see how he's throwing this spring before making that commitment. But those skills are really good. He's still in my top 10 at the very least. I, I think I've got Jansen up where you do, and I'm a little more confident that Yates makes it back with it being bone chips, but there's certainly a, a lot of risk to consider there. And The hardest for me is actually Karinchak versus uh, Bradley and Rogers. there. I, I think I might want to sneak Karinchak in and then have to make a hard choice on uh, that sort of Anderson, Bradley, Rogers to, to finish off the top 10 there. Yeah, I wonder if you had the ability to get clarity on one and only one closer situation. Would <laughs> you, you use that on future. Cleveland? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if you, if you could just, if you knew, like, you'd get one honest answer from any team of your choice, you know, which bullpen would you want to know the, the clear hierarchy in? I think I might, because if you ask the Rays, they'll tell you the truth and they'll say, we'll use all three of them and they're going to each have 15 saves. <laughs> You're like, thanks. Thanks for the truth. I hate you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, and but if if Karinchak was the closer all year, like his projection is for second best reliever in baseball by the bat, you know, uh, there's just the sort of questioning of you know how much they're gonna mess around with that. If Class A is gonna matter, if, if arbitration numbers matter, uh, if they're gonna do the kind of relief fireman model and put their second best reliever as closer, that all that stuff matters. Uh, fair amount of. Uh, sort of injury slash command risk with Karen Shack too. Um, I just, I doubt that someone with that delivery is going to stay healthy for a long time. It's a fair concern to have, I think, as it pertains to James Karen even though those strikeout rates are just eye-popping really throughout his time. A little bit of time in the big leagues, but also in the minor leagues as well. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's get to our first base preview. Let's start breaking down a position that isn't as bad as it has been in, in some recent seasons, but also doesn't have the depth and certainty that we were accustomed to when we grew up playing fantasy baseball. Two first-rounders in the group this year based on ADP since January 1st. We've got Freddie Freeman and Cody Bellinger inside the top 15. Freeman gets the doesn't run tagline as an elite hitter, and that's the the one knock on him. It's more of an overall sort of question, though. Are you comfortable drafting Freddie Freeman at that price point? If you have to use a, a back of the first round pick to get him, are you comfortable doing that? You know, there in a weird way, this has something to do with Nolan Arenado and and and. Something I saw, I forget exactly who saw it. Maybe Sammy Reed. I don't know. Somebody was talking about, so Nolan Arenado, like, yeah, you know, he's got this long track record, the injury, uh, the projection is good. He probably shouldn't fall as far as he's going. It's lovely to scoop him up in the third and fourth round. Um, But then you, you sort of think about the decision tree effect that we talked about last time on the podcast where you take him and then you're like, well, crap. I took a I took a starter. I took Nolan Arenado. It's the fourth round. I have ten. I have ten, ten steals. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so taking Freeman is fine in you know the bat X type value. Uh, I've, I've run the bat X for fifteen teams, one catcher, and three six ninth best projection. Um, and it you know I don't think that you know the bat X. Uh, projection looks that weird compared to the other projections. I think all projections would sort of say Freddie Freeman at 31 years old in the middle of his, the best stretch of his, of his life is going to hit 300 with, you know, 30 to 35 homers. That's what every projection system says, basically. Um, so that has value. I am still surprised by all these, like, you know, projections of six to eight steals, but um, you know, he, he usually manages to find one. I think he's kind of sneaky smart rather than based all entirely on speed. And it also speaks to the fact that his athleticism has not completely waned. Last year was the lowest swinging strike rate of his career, lowest strikeout rate of his career. Um, I think we're just seeing a guy in the middle of his peak, and it looks great. Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm okay with it. it what's, what's the would-you-rather there? Uh, what's the would-you-rather calculation for uh, somebody that could give you steals? Trey Turner? Yeah, I mean, if Turner's there, I'm taking Turner. If Story's there, I'm taking Story. I think there's a cluster of 30 homer, 20 steals guys in the projections. And even Cody Bellinger, who goes after him, you're going to give up a little bit of batting average. Maybe even. Jose Ramirez goes a little earlier, but you could end up with that decision. But yeah, Story Freeman, back-to-back in ADP right now. Bellinger going after Freeman. Uh, You got to think about pitchers at that spot, too. You know, maybe Shane Bieber. Trevor Bauer are, are going to be guys that you think about in that spot too. Lindor. I don't know. Like They all have, like everybody around them has more stolen base value. The only one uh, that's really close at all is Bryce Harper. So I think I would take him over Bryce Harper. 
in a batting average league. I think Freeman fits into this weird group of players that I would pay what it costs to get him in an auction, but I wouldn't draft him ah, in a snake situation. That makes a lot of sense because of what we're saying in terms of these decision trees. If you get Freeman, you lose the chance to add steals there. But if you're in an auction, you can get Freeman and add steals. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense because I'm looking at like what happens if I take Freeman there, then... I don't have a pitcher and I don't have steals. So my next pitch, my next pick will, you know, probably be a pitcher the way the pitchers are inflating. So then I'll be in round three and I won't have any steals. So which round three looking for steals, you know, I'd probably like, am I going to reach for at Alberto Mondesi there? Um, You know, am I going to take an Ozzy Albies who gives you some steals, but not like a ton um, you know, is Starling Marte going to steal a bunch of bases next year? Am I going to reach for Bo Bichette and Tim Anderson? Um, I think the word reach just came into my vocabulary a lot, which is not great. In the third round, <laughs> I think the first three, four rounds, I think it's all value. I mean, it's all value the whole way through the draft for the most part. But at some point in the draft, you have to look at your needs because I don't, I don't want to come out with an unbalanced team for the most part, unless it's head-to-head and I'm punting. Um, I don't want to come out with unbalanced because I don't want to depend on trades. Um, and I and I and when you get unbalanced, even in, in a trade situation, people say, "Oh, you got so many steals, man! Like I'm not going to give you fair value for your steals." <laughs> I've seen that that happened to me. That's happened to me. You know, you've got oh, so many home runs. You just got to give me that thirty homer guy for nothing, really. So, um, yeah. So I want to have a balanced team, and I want to attack value at the beginning. And those two things. Uh, come at a can come at a crisis pretty quickly if you take Freeman and then like I don't know who's I was about to say Giolito but he might not be there like Freeman and Maeda no no because you're talking the two three so you maybe maybe you could do Freeman Giolito right that's possible by ADP yeah you could get Freeman and Giolito that's that would make me feel like oh I got the good values I got my ace I got Freeman I'm feeling good and then I'd be just like God darn it will any of these steals guys fall to me in the next round and then I'm like. Hoping that Cattell Marte steals bases or taking Ozzy Albies in the third when I'm not sure he's a third rounder. I think Albies belongs up there. Uh, what about Whit Merrifield if he fell? Would you be happy with a Freeman Giolito Merrifield or a Freeman Giolito Tim Anderson foundation? No, not really. Because I don't think Merrifield's going to, I think Merrifield's like his, his decline's pretty obvious. And I don't think, you know, Tim Anderson's going to steal like what, 15 or something, 20? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't, I don't like the way it sets you off. I mean, you take if you could take Cody Ballinger, I would take Cody Ballinger over Freeman. I would take Yelich over him too, and Story. All three of those guys, based yeah. on ADP, go I take in the next couple guys. picks after him. Jose Ramirez is projected to have uh, seven dollars less value than Freeman by the bad X. I might even take Jose Ramirez over. Man, it's given up a lot of production overall. I know you got to make up for it and. The other categories, you got to get those steals somewhere. The other player you could think about, just kind of going through the decision tree, if you were going to start with Freeman and back him up with a pitcher in two, Starling Marte's ADP is 49. He's going to be there for you in late three, most likely. That's the name I was looking at. Do you trust Starling Marte's speed more than Whit Merrifield's speed? Yes, I would. I think I would trust. I would. I would be if I did this Freeman and a pitcher thing. I would be hoping for Ozzy Albies and settle for Starling Marte, but you know Starling Marte is obviously in decline as well. So, 
Yeah, so, all right. Freddie Freeman, first-round talent, but because of the way snake drafts work, is a little bit tough to draft at that current ADP. Uh, we'd have a few guys we'd take over him in that spot and just go a different route instead. Like him just fine as a 30 two dollar player 33 dollar player in auctions though because the floor is crazy high and the ceiling is really nice as well uh, some pretty big jumps in price compared to last draft season for dj lemayhew and jose abreu we talked about lemayhew uh, staying in new york it's huge for his value you also get eligibility at second and third which is nice for flexibility in a lot of different formats especially if you're playing draft and hold or if you're in a really deep like AL only league sometimes just getting the best available hitter into your lineup when you lose somebody really makes things a lot easier uh, Jose Abreu I feel like he did everything he possibly could in the shortened season and now you're just paying for the max and there's really nowhere to go but down maybe he holds on to most of what he was doing last year but I I just don't have a strong case for taking him there. And a big part of the argument against him for me is that opportunity cost. It's wanting to go uh, with Xander Bogarts instead or getting Brandon Woodruff maybe as my first pitcher or trying to find someone who runs. It's a lot of the same problems with Freddie Freeman and it exists, you know, 20 picks, 25 picks later. Yeah. Um, and that's, uh, you know, I, I've often kind of felt like I'm going to take the approach that a lot of major league teams take, which is I'm just going to find a first baseman. Um, and so when I look at these rankings, I usually uh, try to find the last acceptable first baseman for my, for my team. Um, and I don't want to pay uh, the going cost uh, for an Abreu when I think um, I can do something similar later. Um, the one nice thing that, that changes once you leave Abreu behind, it's not nice, actually, is the batting average goes away. You know? Generally, the batting average goes away after Abreu. You've got more Alonzo, Rizzo, Muncie, Hoskins, uh, Sano types, even Voight. Uh, the batting average are not, are not the same strengths in the batting average. In fact, you get $5 of value uh, in batting average from Abreu for comp for context at seven dollars from freeman you, you don't get there's not another first baseman uh who gets two dollars of value in batting average the rest of the way hmm. so if you treat if you treat batting average a little bit like steals where you just gotta you gotta inflate you gotta take somebody early on to, to help you with the batting average you know the nebreu's you know the last possible guy to do that for you uh but if you had like three first three bats were all good batting average guys. Um, I would point out that the bat X has him hitting 286. Everybody else has him hitting in the 270s. So it's not, you know, batting average itself is the riskiest stat. And so inflating someone just for batting average, I think is a little bit risky. Yeah. I think the good news is for someone like Abreu, you're getting great run production obviously the lineup around him has improved a lot since the time that he got there mm -hmm. uh, and the power is not really showing a lot of signs of fading either so I, I think he's safe but i just think again you're you're putting yourself in a difficult position with regard to having enough speed and i think the one guy that might be able to match jose abreu's production at a price that's about two rounds later is vlad jr you got a 292 batting average projection from the regular bat system and 27 homers. 
90 RBIs, 92 runs scored, and that was before Springer was added to the mix. I think that'll give slight bumps to those counting stats for Vlad Jr. as well. I think the hard thing that you're doing with with Guerrero is buying a level that he hasn't delivered upon yet. You're, you're still buying the career best season, and now you get the added hype from trimmed down pictures of Vlad uh, circulating the Twitter <laughs> sphere, right? I mean, that's, maybe he's that's moving getting back to third. <laughs> yeah, maybe he moves back to third, gets you first third eligibility, which is is pretty nice. And I mean, look, the expectations have always just been off the charts high. He had a one fifteen WRC plus in the shortened season. He's still very young. The stat cast numbers are really good. He hits the ball very hard. It's just getting the ball in the air more often. That's the biggest flaw in his approach so far. So, where are you out on Vlad Jr. At this point, is it too much of a reach to expect him to do these things that we've really thought he could do for two full years now? I don't know. I, I think he's a little bit like um, just like a raw pitcher, like maybe Giolito before he uh, put the put it all together. Where you're just like, oh man, I would love to coach him. I think there's like one, you know, cue I could give him or one little thing I'd change, and he would just go off. I mean, the the raw stuff is there. And we, we see it. Um, it's great that he starts with great play discipline. Um, and he adds this ability to hit the ball really hard. So you're just really talking about uh, plate, uh, you know, pitch selection within plate discipline. Maybe he knows where the strike zone is, but is having a hard time sort of pulling the trigger on the right pitches. Maybe it's about getting out in the front leg. Maybe it's like a mechanical thing. Um, it's, it's kind of amazing to me that these projection systems that take – you know, different approaches to some extent have virtual agreement. There's only a dollar difference between steamer and um, the bat X and hmm. you know, this bat X is like way more stack cast than steamer. So everyone's like the projection system say, this is, this is going to be true. You know, bat X says he's the second best first baseman. So where's he going? Later than that, he is among first basemen, sixth by ADP, and since January 1st, it's 55 overall. I, dude, I might be down, dude. You know, I think it's better to pay for what could, I, you know, I know there's risk uh, that it doesn't happen, but it's better to pay for future stats than past stats, right? Like, you don't want to, I don't think you want to, like, the, you think about, like, Colton the Wolfman talking about, you know, don't buy a guy after a big deal. Um, and the reason that works is because you usually get a big deal when you're post peak, you're 30 or 31 and you've had great seasons and, um, you're more likely to have worse seasons going forward and people pay because they say they, they say the big track record, they like it, but they're more likely to be worse going forward. So I guess it's always floor over ceiling, floor over ceiling, but at 55, I feel a little bit more better about hey this guy could give me you know top two um type you know top two rounds like he could give me a second round situation here in the fourth round i i think it it does come back to what you've done to that point as well have you taken on any other risks with your first three rounds do you have guys that you feel are more in that stable category but you're right it in a word, the Colton the Wolfman strategy for not getting players coming off of career years or guys getting those big deals is is just regression. Like you're you're just trying to avoid having players getting back to their their normal levels of production. And I think 
I don't know. Like with with Vlad, there's always been a premium for what he could be. This year seems reasonable relative to what other players in the group are going for. He's clustered pretty closely with Pete Alonso and with Luke Voigt. And I think of those players, you know, Alonso has flashed a very high power ceiling. It's fair to wonder where the batting average goes from here. That was a big concern, I think, for both of us going into last season. And, you know, you look at Voigt and you don't get that track record, but when you dig into the underlying numbers, what he was doing in the shortened season, that rate of power output is not sustainable over a full year, but the skills back up a lot of what he was able to do last year. So it's not it's not ridiculous to think that Voigt could, could hold up, but in, in principle, I'd much rather take the chance that we haven't seen Vlad Jr.'s best season yet, which is an almost certainty to me, versus... Buying into Luke Voigt, who on a per-game basis probably just played at the highest level he can possibly play at over the 60-game season. Yes, the injury thing is difficult. People get the injury-ridden tag too early, but Luke Voigt seems fairly injury-ridden. I mean, even last season when he had a great season, he was having planter issues. We I don't think we got the full deal on that either. Foot stuff. Yeah, foot stuff. So... um Age-wise, he's older than the other two. Uh, he's he's being a late bloomer. I'm a little surprised that Void has that much helium, and I think I would take I take Alonzo. I mean, the, the ADP says this that Alonzo should go first, uh, but I think I might take Vlad Jr. over the three of them. I might go Vlad, Alonzo, Void, and I think that might mean that I don't get Void a lot this year. And, and I've been and I've had shares of him for a long time. <laughs> you know, I've been a big Void backer, but. I think he's very similar to Alonzo, and Alonzo has seemed uh, more healthy in the past. Yeah, I, I think initially the way I had him ranked was Alonzo, Voigt, Vlad, again, clustered closely together, and really just believing that Alonzo's power is more like 40-plus home run power, even if the the batting average is just sort of acceptable and not necessarily good. I I, I see him a little bit better than the likes of, you know, Matt Olson and Max Muncie and Reese Hoskins and especially, you know, Miguel Sano, who I think is even a tick below those other three guys in terms of where the projections come in with his batting average. And I guess I'm I'm openly wondering if I am overrating Pete Alonso by assuming that his batting average floor is higher than Muncie, Olson and Hoskins because if if I am inflating that average too much, it, it's an overpay to take Alonzo where he's going. Yeah. You know, if you just look at the overall projected auction values um, and you look at the batting average category, Alonzo and uh, Suarez, Eugenio Suarez in Cincinnati are the only two uh, top 25 bats that have a negative in batting average. Um, so I think to some extent his prodigious power uh, gets out in front of that. Um, but I think also hitting 260 in his first in, in his first full season without a crazy BABIP or anything suggests that he can maybe hit 260 again, and that's far from being an average suck. That's actually an above average batting average these days. <laughs> um, so that's where we are with batting average. So I I feel okay with where Pete Alonso is going now. Uh, I'm just a little bit surprised by how. How, uh, there are people picking Void over Alonzo, is what that ADP suggests to me, and I would I wouldn't do that. 
Yeah, there there are a few people making that move. Uh, next cluster is a lot of the guys I mentioned. Olsen, Muncy, who has eligibility at second and third. Anthony Rizzo has fallen into this group. And there's Paul Goldschmidt, too, just before you get to the pick 100 range, sitting just outside the top 10 among first basemen when you include the multi-eligible position guys in this group. Uh, I think Olsen and Muncy, like, their skills are very similar. With Muncy, you get a little more position flexibility. With Olsen, maybe you have slightly less concern about him losing his job. I say that because I don't really think Muncy's going to lose his hold on what is essentially an everyday role, even though he plays multiple spots to get there. Uh, do you see any red flags in this group? Because at the very least, they all look like good accumulators with Olsen and Muncy bringing a little more power, Rizzo a more balanced sort of categorical distribution, and Goldschmidt maybe being somewhere in between the two. Like It feels like Goldschmidt is a little bit underpriced at this point, even though his park works against him quite a bit. In St. Louis, yeah, I'm a little surprised uh, at how far Goldie has fallen. Um, you know, I was speaking to a Saber chapter in St. Louis recently, or last night actually, um, and they were asking, like, you know, is this Cardinals team a a, a contender? And um, I think that they probably are my favorites to win the division. Um, and you know, if they were to go beyond that into lately, you know, far into the postseason, I think it would be because of a bit of a renaissance uh, for Paul Goldschmidt. Um, you know, top end outcomes for players like Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson and Jack Flaherty and Austin Gomber. Those are, uh, you know, just a sort of grouping of players that I think could uh, have much better seasons than um, are projected even. And I think for Goldschmidt, it would just be kind of a return to the power. Um, I know the bad X only has him with a 187 ISO, and that's not great. Um, but he had 216 in 2019, and then he had 243 in 2018, 265 in 2017. You know, the Cardinals team had a bunch of issues when it came to uh, COVID and this last season. It was, I think, a particularly difficult season for them compared to maybe your average baseball season. And so maybe that affected his stat cast numbers. Um, it definitely brought uh, you know, some of his numbers down. Worst hard hit rate of his career. Um, you know, Second worst uh, barrel rate of the last four years. But um, I still see a pretty good barrel rate. I still see a guy who can hit for power. So I'm going to take the over on some of those numbers. Uh, at 33, he's kind of in that zone where you don't want to get too in love with a projected bounce back. But um, he's also a guy that was athletic, right? He's a guy who stole 32 bases in 2016. And, you know, the athletic, the guys who can, who can you know, who have the ability to steal bases, the base, basically are athletic all around. They age better. So I've made my case. I think Goldschmidt is actually looking like a really, really decent pickup, you know, compared to like the really close ones in Rizzo um, and Dominic Smith, who is like the next Mets acquisition from, from being a bench player. Yeah, man. Goldschmidt a million miles. And, and, and we, I was talking a little bit earlier about like last possible uh, acceptable first baseman. Um, I kind of think he's kind of in that group. I like a guy that, is later. So there are some guys I like that are later, but 
I might end up taking some Goldschmidt shares. I, I, I like where he, where he sits. Yeah, I, I think he's pretty solid where he goes. It's just a question of whether or not you've already got that speed that you want. You feel good about your pitching. You're sort of just trying to backfill with middle-of-the-order quality offensive production. I think Goldschmidt does that. He seems appropriately priced to me at this point. There is something interesting, though, in that group, though. I just want to point something out. You've got Matt Olson and Max Muncie listed right next to each other, right? Six mm-hmm. six picks apart. Max Muncie, uh, if you compare the bad X to Steamer, Max Muncie is the 13th player that Steamer, like the third, has the 13th biggest difference in terms of Bat X liking him more. The Bat X says he's worth $17 and Steamer says he's worth eight. There's only 13 players where that is a, there's a bigger difference. So StatCast loves Max, Max Muncy's. On the other side, and you might be surprised because Matt Olson hits the ball hard. Um, there are only, I'm sort of guessing here, but this looks like there's only about 18 players that the Bat X likes less compared to Steamer than Matt Olson. The Bat X says he's a $9 player, and Steamer says he's a $16 player. Um, I have a feeling that it's about Olson's spray in terms of, I think he hits too many fly balls, too many uh, pop-ups, basically. Um because his barrel rate is is really good, but his launch angle is fairly high. Last year it was nineteen point seven, so you know he's he's pushing it a little bit on the upper end there. It's hard to look at the stat cast and say, oh yeah, that's why the bad X doesn't like him. But there's definitely something about the about him that the bad X doesn't like. Uh, he's he's an extreme uh, pull hitter. Um, that could be part of it. That's almost fifty percent pull, no oppo. Probably one of the li- 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 least laggards in terms of opposite field uh so there's something in there that the bad x doesn't like and um that seems relevant to me man i then you throw in max muncie's eligibilities i'm taking muncie over olsen yeah i mean just by comparison i think muncie's more like a 45 percent pull rate so not quite as extreme that helps a little bit Uh, hard hit rates prior to last season from muncie really strong as well Uh, it's it's surprising to me that the bat X spits that out on Olsen though. That's a pretty big difference. When you look at how that makes him stack up at the position, Matt Olsen ends up in a cluster with below Miguel Sano, uh, right next to Eric Hosmer and only slightly ahead of Colin Moran. Like, that's a big drop from where he actually goes in drafts. Whereas Muncie, you know, his projection puts him in the Anthony Rizzo, Reese Hoskins, Luke Voigt, Paul Goldschmidt conversation. There's a pretty wide range of, of ADPs just in that group of players, but that's a massive disparity on, on Matt Olson. I don't think he's that bad. I'm much more optimistic than that projection, but now I'm at least digging back in to make sure there's not something I'd previously missed because it's jarring to see that. But let's let's also uh, let's talk about this. There might be some false precision going on here a little bit because this is what the actual difference is between Steamer and the Bat in, expressed in fantasy terms. The Steamer says he's going to hit 241 with 37 homers and the Bat X says he's going to hit 233 with 33 homers. If you paid for Steamer and you got the Bat X, would you even call that a bust? 
I'm looking at the regular bat from my ranking sheet. I mean, we're talking about six points in batting average favoring Muncie, 244 for him, 238 for Olsen. One home run difference in their output, yeah. 35 to 36 favoring Olsen. Uh, both over 90 runs, five more runs, I think, uh, tacked on to Muncie, or those are RBIs. And then a, a big gap in, in runs, 83 runs for Olsen, 100 runs for Muncie. You know, lineup quality and an OBP factor into that a little bit, but I I don't see I don't see that much of a gap between those two players. I really don't. Yeah. Then you factor in the fact that uh, Olson never saw as few fastballs as he saw last year, struck out more than he ever had, and you, you there's a slight slight little worry that he's now a thirty percent strikeout guy. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash. Or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant. Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I'm starting to think that I'm always the high person on Anthony Rizzo. He's in my top 10 at the first base position. There's a lot of people that uh, that like to slag on him. I am enamored, I guess, by the plate skills, right? It's a pretty low K rate, nice walk rate, still has some power, occasionally runs a little bit. Stat cast numbers aren't very good, so that definitely works against him. And, and looking at the bad X, like, I'm actually surprised to see Rizzo with an $18 value. If you run a 15-team league through the Fangraphs auction calculator, Rizzo comes out sixth among the players they have listed at first base. I know that doesn't include Bellinger, maybe a couple others. It backs up my evaluation of Rizzo, but he's not exciting. There's no more ceiling there, right? We're just trying to accumulate, and I don't know. This Cubs team is just weird. Like They... They're going to miss Kyle Schwarber more than they realize. Maybe they know internally and they don't care. But uh, I wonder if that's something that I need to factor in more too. Is that this team isn't really trying to get better? They might. They might get worse even more now with with, uh, with uh, trading away Bryant if that if that happens. So or Wilson Contreras too. Like right, those, this team those guys is are yeah. both in trade rumors. So that's that's relevant when it comes to runs and RBI. But I do want to run by um, uh, player A, player B. Uh, player A is Anthony Rizzo. He's got a 267 projection from the Bad X, 27 homers, uh, seven stolen bases. 
Player B has a 263 projection, 26 homers, three stolen bases. So basically, these guys are equivalent by projections. Can you guess? I mean, I've got the tab opened. I'm, is the second player Josh Bell? No, it's Joey Votto. Oh, geez. The, the Votto projection is pretty nuts, actually. Yeah, because Zips has him for 14 homers, and the Bad X has him for 26. This is like the reverse of the Matt Olson <laughs> thing, where you're like, holy crud, dude. Um, the I think the difference here is uh, the Bad X has a lot of stat cast in it, and Votto made some changes late last season where he started hitting the ball a lot harder. And he struck out a lot more. So he kind of went up to like a 25% strikeout rate, but actually started hitting for power for the first time in a long time. So, you know, the bad X p- picks up on that and says, small sample here. He's doing something different on the uh, in stat cast. Looks good. We like him. I'm I'm pointing to one number, though, though dude. 37. Yeah, that's the problem. And I'm not, I I'm don't want to buy into <laughs> a, a full power bounce back at that yeah, age. Exactly. It's <laughs> so risky, even though... For all the reasons we've liked Joey Votto over the years, I just can't get behind that. And I don't, I don't think we're going to get to a point where people look at that projection and it makes an ADP swell up. I, I think they're way more skeptics than believers at this point. <laughs> but, so then it just becomes a question of if he's a fringy top 300 guy overall. Do you think he's, he's worth outside a the top 350. Spot, basically. Do you think he's worth a last pick? Is he good enough to be a corner guy in a twelve-team mixer or in a fifteen mixer? Is he? Is there something still left in the tank, even if you're not going to use him as your primary first baseman? I mean, if the bad X is right, yes. If Zips is right, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a really big difference: two forty and fourteen homers versus two sixty-three and twenty-six. Yeah, those are. Two very different players. I'll put Vado. I'll put Vado in my last group. So the the last group of acceptable first basemen: Bell, Hoskins, Mancini, Sano. I hesitate a little bit at Walsh and Walker. Walsh and Walker would make me a little nervous about the position. So that's my group: Sano, Mancini, Hoskins, Bell. I think I put Vado down there with Walsh and Walker, where it's like. Okay, I took the guy, but I don't feel good about it. There's a whole bunch of guys that are before this place we're drawing the line. Eric Hosmer, who I think last year on this first base preview, I said he is hitting the ball really hard, but I don't care because he just kills worms. And he came out and he had a great year in the shortened season. So to see him inside the top 150 is pretty surprising. Mike Moustakis also has second base eligibility, I think, Low average thumper, we could get a, a good whole season from him. I don't, I don't really have a problem with him around that 120 range. But I generally have avoided Hosmer so far. And I don't really go after Ryan Mountcastle either. ADP since January 1st is 140. I'm not worried about playing time with him in Baltimore. It's obviously a good place to hit. His prospect profile has always been the things he could do with his bat over anything else. So he should be the kind of player that we like. I mean, his below average tools are his defense and his arm, but everything else is average or better that we care about. So what am I getting wrong with Ryan Mountcastle? I mean, the bat X has him at 267, 311, 444 with almost 600 plate appearances, hitting 21 homers, driving in 71 and scoring 68. You know, to me, that's just, 
that's a corner guy. That's not much better than that. I mean, maybe the, it's the fact that he's still so young, he could get better. Yeah. Like, maybe that's the part I'm overlooking with Ryan Miles. Yeah, I guess he's 23. I think there's also some hope that, you know, he has some positional value. Um, there was once upon a time that he had some second base value uh, because of stuff he did in the minor leagues. But um, he also played 25 games in the outfield last year um, and in five outfielder leagues, you know, that becomes a lot more palatable, right? So it's a little bit difficult sometimes to talk about guys like Moustakis, Muncie, Mountcastle, uh, or Cronenworth, because I just think that they're more relevant in the other places. Cronenworth fits into the conversation at second base because second base tails off a ton. And, and even though we're a little more worried about his playing time now with Hassan Kim there, there's still a player worth rostering. It's just at what price? That's where you go with Cronenworth. That's why he's not really a part yeah, of the conversation like Moose, today. Like I think I, I think Moose and Muncy are mostly going to play at second base, you know, for people in third base. So, um, so I prefer to kind of look at first base only guys. Um, and, uh, so like Mountcastle versus Hosmer is kind of an interesting situation there, but, uh, to me, and then Mountcastle would be an outfielder. So Hosmer is interesting, but then 30 picks later, Josh Bell, I'm sorry, I'm taking Josh Bell. He's going into a, a nice park for his power. Um, bat X versus steamer. Josh Bell is right behind Max Muncie. Bad X says he's a $20 player. Steamer says he's an $11 player. Bell is loved by StatCast. He's going to a good park. He's going to a better lineup. Uh, I think whatever sort of in-betweenness he was showing last year at the plate, he's going to solve. Eric Hosmer is, uh, you know, yes, he improved his launch angle. Um, I know from you know, sort of sourcing that uh, he finally embraced some of the advanced technology that's out there in terms of like the K vest and uh, hit tracks and some of that stuff. Um, I think that's amazing and laud him for it. But given how long he barreled at a sort of 6% rate, 6 to 7% rate, jumping to 10% last year, I'm still going to regress his skills going into next year. I'm still going to predict the over-under on his barrel rate to be around 7%. And uh, that'll take away a lot of his power. And so then he becomes a compiler. And um, I think Bell can compile too. Yeah, I would agree. And I, I think with Bell, I think there's a little more ceiling. I do think the quality of the lineup in San Diego gives Hosmer an even better floor than he would have had in any of his first few seasons there. I mean, that's that's mm-hmm. good news for someone like that who plays as much as he does uh, I, I think with Bell man I, I think he's one of those guys where I kind of draw the line around where he's going and Reese Hoskins too I, I like both of those guys if I haven't taken a first baseman yet and Hoskins and Bell are atop my queue that's where I'm going to go ahead and make a move because I don't want to have anybody worse than that that I'm relying on when playing time can be a major issue it's a position that a lot of teams platoon at uh, and then Yuli Gurriel is a guy that I've never trusted at all. And I I think we maybe got some insight into how he exceeded expectations uh, after the fact, of course. You look back at that, that 2019 season when he hit 30 home runs, it just jumps off the page as an outlier. It's got the same sort of problem we talked about with Joey Votto, too. Gurriel's already 36. He'll be 37 in June. So you don't really expect 
anything close to that 2019 power to come back, even though he does a good job putting a ton of balls in play. You start looking at Christian Walker. I think he really doesn't have a lot of threats to his playing time, so maybe he's more safe than I've been giving him credit for. The stat cast numbers are usually really good. The average exit velo is steady. Max exit velo is not bad, even though he doesn't kind of pop at the position relative to some of the, the best power hitters. So I think you know, Christian Walker's fine, but I see him as more of a corner guy than a true mm-hmm. like 12-teamer first baseman that you feel good about. Yeah, and he's almost like the the line. <laughs> like, uh, I get really uh, scared after Walker. Um, Heimer Candelario, uh, you know, did some some fun things. Uh, Brandon Belt um, might be acceptable um, because he, you know, he, he got a different approach to information last year from the hitting coaching team at uh, the Giants. It's, it's, it's like they have like eight hitting coaches. Um, and so I could see some of his decision-making process maybe being near the best of his career. Um, and so I don't necessarily think that he's going to lose all of it. Um, but, um, you know, belt Candelario, I guess Walsh Walker that I get, that's where I'm starting to do the heavy size. I just worry about Walsh's playing time. I know he can move around a little bit, but I see him as a little more of a super sub than a guy that falls into 500 plus plate appearances. Well, they have to figure out what they're going to do with Albert Pujols' carcass because uh, Pujols is actually uh, one of the ones that has the most disagreement between Bat and Steamer. Uh, the Bat X says he's worth uh, minus $15. <laughs> and Steamer says he's worth minus $7. So either way, that's in a 15-team league. I don't think you want to put too many shares in it. But that they have to put pool somewhere. Um, and yes, you can do Pujols and Walsh, but those are the te- the places um, that the team could make the most improvement, really, at this point. And uh, I'm not saying that Justin Upton is going to play first, um, or that Matt Thies is Matt Thies. It should just really be Thies. He has big thighs. <laughs> uh, Matt Thies um, is you know, but Otani is really the DH because of how they use him. So. You're talking about Pujols, Walsh, Thais, maybe Upton. Um, there's there are some options. You, you don't quite see it at first. You say, "Oh, well, that's that's probably just Walsh," but Pujols still alive. He's still there. They got to use him sometimes or cut him. It, it just takes too much of a commitment for them to not play Pujols for me to fully trust Jared Walsh. I think right. That's what it so, comes but down if they to. cut if they cut Pujols, I think I'd be a little bit more uh, maybe a little bit more on the Walsh train. I think some of the changes he made to his swing are pretty convincing. There was a good breakdown over at Fangraphs showing how he really made some pretty big adjustments from 2019 to 2020. Uh, as far as some really late options, we'll mix the prospects in here too. I mean, prospect-wise, Andrew Vaughn and Spencer Torkelson are really a cut above the rest of the field. I think Ryan Mountcastle still technically has prospect list eligibility, uh, as does Bobby Dahlbeck, who... Struck out a lot, but showed some pop in a really limited amount of playing time with the Red Sox last season. Given the Red Sox real like poor offseason, I think Dahlbeck's going to play quite a bit, so he might be someone I have to upgrade a little bit. Uh, do you think we'll see 
Andrew Vaughn and or Spencer Torkelson a lot in 2021. Not Vaughn. This team's pretty stacked. I think it would take an injury to Breu, like a fairly, not like a one-week type of injury either. I think with the DH spot, though, there's a, a chance that both of those guys can coexist in the yeah. same lineup. Yeah. But, like, what's... What's the what's the calculus? The calculus then is he's just raking in the minor leagues, and we just gotta call him up. That that could happen, I guess. But otherwise, I think that they seem set up to kind of rotate people through DH. It really depends how much they want to play some other fringy bench guys. Like if they want to play Lurie Garcia a lot, then Illoy ends up DHing quite a bit. Right, and, and then Illoy's that not, does takes not it have away. Great does not have great defensive skills, so they may find that they want to do that some days, as it is now. That could change, I guess. I think that also the Tigers seem so far away that I, I doubt Torkelson gets more than 100 or 200 ABs. Um, yeah. One guy that's a little bit interesting to me down there is Evan White. Um, as bad as he was, he got barrels on 14% of his batted ball events. He had 99, so like it wasn't just like 20 batted ball events or anything. He He was hitting the ball hard, and I think he deserved a lot better than the 170 ISO he got. Of course, the 41% strikeout rate is ridiculous and gross, and it changes his projections immediately. All his projections have basically a 30% strikeout rate. He didn't quite do that in the minor leagues, though. So, you know, if he comes back, and I think he might be pick-upable if he hasn't hit for power, but he's striking out. Because strikeouts actually uh, become stable early, uh, but power becomes stable late. So if he comes into the season next year and is striking out like sort of 23 to 24% or closer to 20%, um, I might pick him up as a speculative play or uh, try to target him in dynasty leagues because I think there's still within Evan White the chance to put up like a 320 uh, to 340 OBP with a 200 ISO. It's a good player. He's locked into a long-term contract. He could end up being a guy who just plays first base for them for a while and is never amazing, but is pretty good. So I, I think Evan, buying low on Evan White is not a bad idea. The last player I want to bring up is Nate Lowe. I know he kind of came up in passing before. He's carrying an ADP since January 1st of 296. Puts him 32nd among players with first base eligibility. Uh, just in the, the late, late rounds, we're talking next to Carlos Santana, Dahlbeck, Wilmer Flores, who's also eligible at second, Jesus Aguilar. Uh, really, you're looking at like a bench guy or at least a late corner in this case. Is he a big side platoon guy who's going to yield playing time to somebody else against lefties? And if so, does that really kind of cap his short-term ceiling in Texas? Nate Lowe has, uh, by Steamer, a an above-replacement projection, $2.6. Uh, but by the bad X, he's below replacement, minus 3.7. So basically, they disagree on whether or not he's uh, a playable player uh, not rosterable. I think both of those projections are okay for rosterable, but you know, Steamer thinks you can play him in a 15-team league, and the Bad X thinks you should be on your bench. Um, so I tend to think that he is a better deep league play. I think he's a better mono league play. I think you want to think about how much you want to spend on Nate Lowe in an AL only league, and then the, your question becomes uh, more relevant about you know the what they're going to do with him. I think they'll try and play him all the time. Um, because they acquired him and they seem to be trying to build towards something. I think at least to begin the season, they'll play him all the time. 
And then the last question becomes what to make of his weird um, collection of skills. Barrels the ball, but seems to be late on pitches. Has a terrible strikeout rate, but had way better ones in the minor leagues. Uh, does really poorly against high-velocity pitches. Uh, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know. I, I think he's he's riskier than people think. I think he'll cost like 5 to $10 in, a, in an AL-only auction. And there might be other guys that are, are just worth it or worth more than that. Or, you know, like a better risk value proposition. Yeah, I, I man, if he's struggling with high velocity, I, I don't know how correctable that problem is. That brings us back to the old Keston Hira problem, which is mostly high fastballs. But if that's a velo problem all over the zone, that seems like a, a much more difficult problem to solve. You know, you, you can't lay off high velocity strikes like very easily if they're going to be called strikes anyway so that'd be well it is that'd a, be something i would look into it is a, a high with, with it's low. a high it's a high problem too i mean that's where velo is going these days right you kind of throw the high fastball so he doesn't do well high in the zone and he doesn't do well against high velo which one is which one is a is a bigger problem to you i think probably the velo one yeah just velo in general everyone has velo you could try to lay off of the top half of the zone and have some better success Right. If you can't hit 97 when it's not up at the top of the zone, that's a problem because that's a pitch that in the zone you should be able to do some damage on. Like mm-hmm. think about when guys with big fastballs miss, that's when they give up homers. Like right. if you can't hit that, I think that's a huge problem. So anyway, definitely some flaws, but this is the kind of situation I normally would just leap at because the projection mm-hmm. is okay, but it's only for a league average bat. Even the bat X, you know, 252 with 18 homers, that's not a good projection. It's a league average projection, and you don't want league average from your first baseman. Yeah, I've, I've definitely come down a little bit on the ceiling. I'm excited he's got a chance to play. Yes, that's that's normally what I chase in, in AL-only leagues is, is plate appearances, and he seems like he's in line for them. So I may yeah. still own him. I, my ears will perk up at the draft table when uh, when this name is thrown. I think he's fringy for a lot of mixed leagues, and... If you liked him in the past the way I have and you draft him, you have to be willing to cut him if it doesn't look good early in the season. You can't ride it out for six or eight weeks hoping that he, he figures it out. I think you'll know pretty quickly if it was an off season where he made some adjustments and, and came in ready to handle some of those flaws or if he's going to be more susceptible to losing playing time. As like the season uh, rolls along, just really quickly, fourteen dollar projection in in an AL only situation, twelve team, right? Fourteen dollars. That's a lot to put out for a league average projection from a first baseman. Um, yeah, not you know, doing that. Not for fourteen, because fourteen bucks is going to get you. How how far is that going to be from Carlos Santana? Well, you know, if I'm going to buy, yeah, a, a Trey high Mancini playing time. Trey Mancini is fourteen point six, so fifteen bucks. Hunter Dozier is fifteen bucks. Carlos Santana is fifteen bucks. Heimer Candelario is sixteen bucks. Even my man Evan White is sixteen bucks, which also that's a that's a bit much. That's but paying for that's your projection. A high, yeah. <laughs> that's paying for the projection and not and not really softening it at all. Um, but um, you know, like Guriel is eighteen. Yeah, that's uh, and I think you could also piece out on fourteen bucks and accept more risk, obviously. But by like Michael Chavis for less, uh, Jake Bowers right now I think is first on the depth chart there. Um, 
Brousseau would be an interesting guy uh, for $3. You know, Abraham Toro, uh, they they don't have any outfielders. Right now, Abraham Toro might, you know, he, the depth chart says 141 plate appearances, but if he comes to uh, spring training and starts playing in the outfield, I immediately become interested. So, um, I don't know. There's also, you can tell, a big drop there. Ty France for 7 bucks. Ty France for 7 bucks, or Nate Lowe for 14 I would take Ty France for 7 Yeah. Yeah, but there is a, and, a bit take of a the, cliff take there. the extra money and get an upgrade somewhere else, right? I mean, yeah. that's the that's the better way to go. Like, take the extra seven bucks and get a couple upgrades. And the nice thing about Ty France is he might have some eligibilities that you know you put him in corner infield to start the season, and maybe he backs up somebody somewhere else um, later on and and becomes a guy you move around. I mean, either way, I don't think any of the guys we've said you necessarily want as your starting first baseman, unless you start to push into that Santana. Uh, Candelario section, but no, it gets real ugly. If you do any fifty round draft and hold leagues, you can't wait forever to get your first base depth either. The, the depth runs out sooner than usual, so just is there keep a, that in mind. As is there well. big skewing in first base between the leagues? It looks like there is. Um, and for you know, by just by the Badex auction calculator AL only, it goes Guerrero, Abreu, Voit, Olson, Sano, and then Rowdy, who you know we may wake up tomorrow doesn't have a job. And then Yuli, and then CJ Crone coming off knee surgery. Evan White already starting to get like what? I kind of like Crone if he's healthy as just the cheap filler. Yeah, I think he he deserves to be on our list, like right behind Bell as an acceptable first baseman. Yeah, I think he's pretty similar to Christian Walker. You know, yeah. hits the ball really hard, isn't exciting, but gets a better spot in the lineup where he plays than he would a lot of other places. That sort of keeps his value. Afloat, and I think CJ Crone. If you look at the WRC plus, he's been better than a league average hitter in all but one season, and he narrowly missed it. It was a 98 WRC plus season for him in 2017, so 10 percent better than league average now. Uh, over 2,500 career plate appearances, so just a, a solid hitter. You know, again, not going to win your league for you, but probably going to end up being a little bit better than 10 percent plus for barrel race uh, for four years in a row. Like I, I like him the skill that he is definitely proven that he owns uh, if there's anybody that we didn't get to that you'd like us to talk about you can reach us via email rates and barrels at theathletic.com if you don't already have a subscription you can get one for $3.99 a month to start at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels on twitter he's at eno saris i am at derek van riper that is going to wrap things up for this episode of rates and barrels we are back with you on friday thanks for listening As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.